It's our weekly Pistons pod, but unfortunately the Pistons have just lost 14 games in a row and currently are the worst team in the NBA. Maybe things can turn around, but for right now, Andy and I are pretty bummed out about the prospects of the Detroit Pistons. Today has less of a format and is just more of a ranting pod, so let's get started. There's no way to say it. There's no other way to say it. The Detroit Pistons are the worst team in the NBA right now. They just lost to the Wizards. We're recording this on Monday night, November 27th, after the game where they got blown out by the Washington Wizards. So now the Detroit Pistons have taken the title of the worst team in the NBA. 14-game losing streak. I am just going to read off some tweets from Pistons Twitter that I've collected tonight, last couple of days. G-Man at Piston Strong says, this is what happens when you hand out jobs and you don't bring an actual competition. Troy's had three years and $80 million in cap space to supplement his draft picks and has done nothing with it. Duncan Smith at Duncan Smith NBA says, time to stop blaming this mess on Stan Van Gundy. This is all Troy Weaver's mess. Underscore, underscore, underscore at D underscore NWO one said, we really the worst team in basketball. We were supposed to be seeing progress this year. Hashtag Detroit basketball. Simply Fletcher at St. FDW says, yeah, I'm legit worried about the Pistons, not just as a team, but as a franchise. This backslide is bad and it's worse because they aren't trying to tank. They're just bad. And then heartbreak emoji. Hashtag Detroit basketball. ACP BIG at Strictly Pistons says, yeah, I think I'm going to take a break from the Pistons. I can't do this anymore. Shrug emoji. Hashtag Detroit basketball. And then Duncan Smith at Duncan Smith NBA also tweeted, the Pistons are four and 37 since the trade deadline. That's exactly an eight win pace. Over an 82-game season, and they kept that up for 41 games. Jack Kelly, at Jack Kelly, at Jack underscore Kelly underscore 313 said, Prior to this season, I was big on the Troy started with no assets convo. I don't think that applies anymore. Zayan, at Zay Turner 24, says, Arn Tellum and Troy Weaver have both hired their children in pretty important positions in the Pistons front office. Their 2-14 and 14 record and 13-game losing streak is a direct reflection of just how poorly this franchise is run. Fire Troy Weaver, hashtag Detroit Basketball. And then he tweeted out a picture of Eric Tellum, Senior Director of Player Personnel. Go look at his resume. I don't think I would have hired him for Senior Director of Player Personnel. Troy Weaver Jr. is a strategy analyst for the Pistons. I do not know what that means, so I, I can't really say whether or not. And one, the last one I'm going to end with for Mike Payton at A to Z underscore Peyton. This is something that I'll talk about kind of at the end here. Are people really blaming Cade for this? Question mark. Are you kidding me? Why did Detroit's 
Why do Detroit sports fans always want to get rid of their best players? This is insane. Andy, your thoughts after the loss tonight? Um, well, I wasn't going to overreact whether they won or whether they lost just because NBA regular season basketball, like whatever, like a game is like, I mean, I think yesterday Portland was like beating Milwaukee by like 30, you know, Milwaukee came back and won because they're, you know, a really good team, but NBA regular season basketball, you can overreact to whatever you want. But I think this just shows things we have been talking about for months as far as the problems that this team has. And I feel really bad for the players, but outside of that, I think this is pretty funny to be honest. Like I know, I know people are like upset and ticked, but I think it's just, it's pretty funny that like the wizards are not trying to win basketball games. They're not trying to win. Like they are, Horrible. The Pistons are trying to win. Like this is their best effort to win basketball games. And this is what we have. And for the people who thought, well, it's just as soon as Boyan and Monte come back, like we're going to look so much better. Really? You think they're going to like change this whole thing? And we've said for a while, like, yeah, they'll look better, but it doesn't really change what we have. So, I mean, I, I think it's funny. I mean, the, I guess the the positive I take from it, the the core lineup that I wanted to see, which was basically the starting lineup we had tonight, they played 15 minutes and I think they were a positive three on the night. Like they played, you know, they played all right. And I think the biggest, like we've joked about it on the pod, not recording, but like me and you talk. I seriously wonder if Monty is like, I don't really care. I want this to look ugly. I want all these people fired. Like the mess that I came into, this is not a basketball operation. This is not how things work. Like I'm going to play your guys. I'm going to show how ugly this really is. And then hopefully everybody gets fired and we bring in some people to actually get this done because some of Monty's lineups and things he's done, it just scratches your head. But at the same time, you're like, uh, this is the talent you gave me. So let's run with it. Like the fact that so people were saying this was a big game and he's going to play James Wiseman tonight, like for real. And like Bagley never gets on the court. And that's just bizarre. But hey, this is the guy you wanted us to bring here. So let's let's see what he can do. And it didn't help. Yeah, real quick before I say anything in response, did you see Monty Williams' press conference afterwards? Because he kind of addressed some of that. Well, the only thing I have to say about his press conference is he continues to harp on this idea of maturity. These guys need to grow up and be accountable. And what I wonder is he understands they're young guys but does he look at this team as when he first got to Phoenix or has he been dealing with playoff successful teams for so long? He just expects to give a message and these guys are going to get it and it's going to happen because this is going to be a multiple season project. And if he thinks things are going to turn around because of something he said in the locker room, like that's not the team you have. This is not an experienced team that, Obviously, he's figuring out what he's trying to do. But in the team's defense, 
me and you honestly don't know what it is he's trying to do. Like, what what are they running on offense? Like, what is this thing? Yeah, I agree that he's done head scratching things. And like when you and I have talked off air, what I've said is I feel like Monty is coaching in the let's just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Because that kind of feels like what it is to me, even with his love affair, quote unquote, with Killian. I think that's part of what it is. It's like, okay, I want to see if this guy can do anything. I like how he played in practice. I want to reward him for that. So let's give him these starting minutes at the beginning of the year. I wonder, too, if the Ivy and Kate splitting them up initially was really to keep a primary score on the court. And then that kind of got messed up along the way with Ivy getting sick and all that. Because now we see that play out, too, with the uh, the lineups without Kate and the lineups without Ivy. They're terrible. They are so bad. Like Nobody can get a bucket. It's Alec Burks just kind of scrambling and Killian dribbling around. And now that Livers is back, him jacking up threes every now and then. Which is welcome, but again, this isn't something you can build a second unit on, and obviously, it's not very efficient. I've seen a couple of people too tweet out like, "Is Burks really not healed from that forearm injury? It just seems like he's not shooting it the same." It's like that that might be a thing too. Um, but I, it's with Monty too. I'm just like, it just seems like he's just trying things out, and the Wiseman thing tonight seems like one of those things, and it's it's probably somewhere in the middle between what you and I are saying, right? Of like, okay, let's try this out here for this game. But also of like, okay, this guy's supposed to be an integral piece here. And we traded for him. I'm sure the front office people and Troy Weaver is like, yo, he was our number one guy in 2020. And Monty's like, all right, in this an integral game, in this game where we have the winning streak or the winning streak, and with only the losing streak on the line where they can tie 14 games in a row, which they did in 2021. Let's put in Wiseman and see. And this was the result. And then the press conference tonight of him getting frustrated and ending the press conference early saying that's just not like what we preach. And I don't know what's going on with the effort and the compete level. That seems to be part of it that's coming out because he won't point fingers. But I mean, we have eyeballs, right? I think we can kind of see the players that he's frustrated with. And Ankade, I don't think it's beef stew. I kind of think it might be not everybody else. But it does seem like that because consistency we've seen from Cade and Stu. And I know people like rag on Stu, but he's been consistent. Yeah, I think he's still the second leading three-point shooter on this team because Burke's got hurt and everything else. Like He's still filled in that role. And even tonight, I think he went one of seven. But his shot profile and what he did tonight, that's what you want him to do. Though That's what you want him to do is just keep firing away. The reason the game against the Pacers, it drove me banana because like Stu didn't take a single three. I'm like, what's the point of him being out there then if he's not going to be taking threes like this? And that's what you worked on and you're playing him at the four. So I'm glad. But again, consistency to play defense. He did a really good job on Kuzma in the first half. And then in the second half, when they got off beef stew and when somebody else, Kuzma went banana and lit the team up. So uh, yeah, Monty's done weird things. But I also think, again, this is where the timelines, like you said it before, the timelines for the GM, for the ownership, for the coach, they don't line up. I think Monty's timeline is like year one in Phoenix and year two in New Orleans after they traded Chris Paul, where he's like, all right, this team's not going anywhere. I'm just going to try things out and I want to see who's going to like actually bring it and who I can build something around. And it just has been disaster for a bunch of different reasons. Yeah. 
it's uh it's hard to make sense of things because like we mentioned the without cater ivy on the floor they're they're struggling and it's like instead of changing his rotation to stagger them just a little bit more tonight he made the minutes where they're both off the floor even bigger and it's like really like this is a game that some people are saying is a must win and you're actually going to play Cade less minutes than you normally do and keep him on the bench longer than you normally do. Like maybe he got tired from the game in what was the last game that we should have won Oh, against Indianapolis at Indiana at, at the end that the fourth quarter, they fell apart, but it's like, I don't know, just his decisions just seem really weird. And all of a sudden, he'll, he'll play Kevin Knox all these minutes, and then Livers healthy, and you will never see Kevin Knox move off the bench like ever again. And he had a bad game, but other than that, he was playing okay. But then you just disappear him. And then tonight was like a bigger Marcus Sasser night. And it's like, is is Killian not really healthy? And if he's not, then fine, don't play him. Like I just, I, I'm just confused by what they're they're doing. Um, but again, if Burks isn't really healthy either. Like what? I don't know. It's just a very bizarre situation. And what's even scarier is I don't see, I don't see the, the way out. Like I know some people are starting to talk about trades and stuff. Your best trade chip was Boyan who hasn't even played yet this season due to injury. You think he has high trade value if nobody has actually seen him on the basketball court in like 40 some games or something. And then Monty Morris would be another trade chip. Uh, he hasn't stepped on the court this year. Alec Burks. Well, since he got injured and came back, he hasn't been shooting very well. Like all you have are expiring contracts. There are other teams with expiring contracts and it would be crazy to trade any of the young pieces to save this. So I don't see any immediate, changes and even if you do look at the roster one of the things in the preseason we got excited about was monte morris because of how much monte williams said that experienced point guard is what you need to save your team and that's what uh rubio was for him and he was excited about monte what monte morris but he hasn't you know touched the court for us and he may not touch the court for like two he might not ever play in a pistons jersey so it's like maybe Monty doesn't really even care about this season. Like, I don't mean that he doesn't care, but I don't care how many games we lose. It's not on me. This is the mess I came into. This is what I started with. And then from here, like you said, we'll see who sticks, who I want to keep. Everyone else, we can just get rid of everybody and bring in guys who fit my system. Because obviously what you were building before I got here amounted to nothing except for a bunch of young players. Yeah, I, I also wonder how much like the conversations of the coach and the front office come into play of like, you need to play this guy. You can't play this guy. I'm 75% confident that Monty Williams would be like, I don't care what you say. I play who I play. But I, I always wonder that. And every team, that's different. You know, like the Spurs, obviously, Pop pretty much is the front office. He has a hand in who they select, even though he's quote unquote stepped away from it. He has a hand in who they select and he has a hand in like their overall philosophy of the players that they're going to draft or trade for or sign. So that's the thing. 
in an organization like the Pistons or in an organization like the Magic, say, where the turnover is pretty high in both the coach and the front office, I, I never really know. It's harder to see that unless they hire somebody like a Rick Carlisle, which is what you see in Indiana. You can obviously tell in Rick Carlisle for a long time has had final say on his roster, even when your owner is Mark Cuban, even when you have Nelly as your GM, like it was clear, hey, he won the title, he can do what he wants, and he kept turning out results like that. So that, that's the only part of it that, again, none of us are going are gonna to know, but particularly with like the Wiseman thing tonight, I wonder if that's another like front office, a front office conversation of like, hey, we need you to play this guy more. Maybe Bagley was just like, eh, you know, not really feeling it. So they're like, all right, let's give him this opportunity in a crucial game that we want to win and see what we got. So that, that'd be the other part of it too. And I wonder what the Knox thing too, if that comes into play too, of like Monty wants to play him, but again, the front office is like, Hey man, like we need to know about these other guys over this guy that we don't want to really want to resign. And it, that's like kind of the struggle that comes in. Cause that would explain to some of the weirdness around everything in this team of like when some guys play and some guys don't who Monty has wanted to. And maybe this is also like a mishmash of, okay, Monty, you can play these guys, but you also have to make sure you find minutes for these guys. Again, I'm just I'm just coming off the cuff. We didn't prepare anything tonight because we just wanted our legit reactions from another 14 game losing streak. And this is like where my mind keeps going is like, I wonder if all that power struggle we talk about, this is what it looks like on the court of like this guy gets some minutes. This guy doesn't get minutes. Aids our star, but oh wait, Monty wants to surround him with these guys, but no, 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 wait, we have to feature these guys, even though they might not be a good fit in there. And then more and more people like Sam Vecini and like a lot of the athletic guys. I mean, go look at any, if you just search right now, Detroit Pistons on YouTube, you'll see like 10 athletic videos. You'll see like a couple from the ringer. You'll see a bunch from people who are not Pistons content creators, all saying the same thing of like, what is going on? This is a terrible form team. Like these pieces don't seem to fit together. They have talent, but it doesn't supplement their stars. What is going on? You know, I wonder if that's really just playing out right now in front of our eyes, that power struggle. I mean, that's the only thing I could think of that makes sense. Otherwise, it's just and I think we've said this for the whole season. It's just gotten off to a bizarre start. Everything just feels weird. Even just like, I know the, like the beat writers always talk about, oh, the vibe is upbeat. and Everyone is like in a good mood and blah, blah. They've lost 14 straight games. I mean, come on, guys. Like, don't tell me everything. Sure, they might smile when you have the microphone in their face. You're taking a picture. But that can't be the vibe around the team. And uh, I, for, I forgot I had the stat, but I, I don't know where, where it went. They said they had a players, you know, like a players only meeting or whatever. It was like 15 minutes and Isaiah Stewart said some stuff or whatever. If your heart and soul leader of the team has a career NBA record of like 50 wins and 150 losses, like, is that really the guy who should be leading like the change or like, I'm sorry, he's not qualified for that role. Like. I love everything about him, but that is a fail in roster construction. If that is the leading voice on your team, uh, you know, a fourth year player who 
has never experienced a 500, not even close to a 500 season in his career. Yet we have to listen to what he's going to say because it's going to lead us to what he's never won anything. Like, you know what I mean? What what I'm trying to say? Yeah. But also I'm like, if the other guys are younger than him or like the same age as him, this is where like personality dynamics, it can work because of who he is and the time and the work. And like I said with him and Kate consistency, I think those are the two that like people should be listening to because they are the ones that are bringing it every night and doing a lot of different things to fill in holes uh, on both ends. But yeah, I agree. Normally, when you think of that leader that steps up and says something, it's normally like a 10 year dude. Like I'm thinking of a Udonis Haslam here, where even if they don't play like he's at the end of the bench, you've obviously seen him win titles. He was on those heel teams. He's ingrained in that organization for a very long time. Everybody from LeBron all the way down to the 15th man on the roster, the coach, everybody will listen to what he has to say because of the experiences and the battles and the games and everything. He's seen it all. So, yeah, I, I get that aspect of it there, too. But again, 23 and a half is the average age on this team. So I don't think that would be a thing of like they're, quote unquote, going to tune out beefs, too. I think the guys that would tune him out are like the old dudes like Alec Burks and and Bojan and those other guys, which I mean, why don't they say something then? That would be my my counter to it as well. It's like you're the veterans. You guys have been around a lot. What are you all doing here? Come on, man. And part of that goes to roster construction that they have never brought in a defensive vet. The vet who's going to lead them and know this is how you defend. This is how you play defense. This is what you do. Like there's no one on their roster for like the last three years that I would say is like that guy, you know? Um, So it's kind of like the blind leading the blind, but it seems like the coach isn't really connected to the group, you know, in some ways where it feels like, you know, he said, calls it, you know, tough love and they have to mature and they have to grow up, but it's almost like he's talking at them about you guys are supposed to be getting this already. And obviously they're not, there's a, a disconnect there. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's weird dynamics right now. I mean, they just need uh, something to stabilize. And even though we are on the fire weaver train for sure, I also have the mindset of like, that's not going to fix anything right now, right? Firing a GM in the middle of the season. I don't know if that's the best thing, but at the same time, like we've said, we're worried he's going to make a panic trade to try and quote unquote fix things there. So there has to be something there. And 14 game losing streak is the franchise record. They set that in 2021. Who was the GM during that time? Troy Weaver. And guess what? They just tied that record. And guess who's the GM right now is Troy Weaver yet again. You can say in 2021, I will give it to those people that, you know what? That was him inheriting somebody else's mess. That was him making the best of a bad situation. That team sucked anyway. So that was going to happen. This is all him, man. Two years later, had a lot of time. You've had a lot of opportunity to improve. And guess what? You might even be worse. That 15-game losing streak is coming up. If they get it, then, I mean, I don't know how the front office, I don't know how ownership, I should say, can't sit there and just be like, nope, we're going to rock with this guy again through the offseason after two historic lows like that. Um, I just don't know what's going on. That's the other part of it, too, that we've discussed off and on, off air. It's hard to talk about ownership because... Really, when you start talking about ownership, I think that's when, as a fan, you can really just like 
be super depressed because ain't nobody firing the owner. It becomes impossible to change ownership. People have had issue with Tom Gores in the past of like interfering in things, wanting a winner, not living in Michigan and being in LA most of the time. So maybe he's not as connected with the team. I just laid out a couple of people and um, there have been people in the last couple of weeks that have pointed out that Eric Tellum has had a pro player personnel. I also agree with that. Just based off the resume, it's not somebody I would have hired. Like I said before, you have to start questioning those things of like people in specifically player identification roles of like scouting and like player pro player personnel where they are the ones that are saying we should get this guy. We should draft this guy like that. When it's somebody that doesn't have as qualified as of a resume as other teams and they happen to be the son of one of the executives, then that's when you need to start questioning ownership of like, why is this happening? And then the Troy Weaver Jr. one, I don't really know. That seems like a lower level one. I don't really want to call that one out as much. But Duncan Smith and a couple other people have been saying for a while too, like Arntellum and Stefanski. It seems like an odd thing that they still have players say when Stefanski at least has front office on his resume. But Arntellum was an agent, so that kind of gets weird. And I bring again, I bring all this up just to say, like, if Tom Gore's just as cool with this, that's when it's really like, man, well, what is going on? Because it is Weaver, obviously, because he's the GM, but it seems to be going further up. And when we talk about the power struggle, this is the other part of it is like if Stefanski and Arntellum still have like Gore's his ear and they're still part of this dynamic of like who we get to sign, who we get to draft. If they're so giving that input, then it's just more cooks in the kitchen and another like ran monkey wrench to throw into the power struggle where it's like ownership has to now take notice of this and be like, nope, we need to cut out these voices. They're not working. Even if we would have won tonight, I was hoping that just the national attention this lousy game got would be enough of an embarrassment to be like, okay, this is not like, that's embarrassing. But then to get blown out at home, and I'm not sure if they ever, okay, they did lead the game. They came out strong in the beginning and then they lost the lead and like never got it back. But it was to lose like this against another team that, is just bad. I mean, you can, there are nights when you can say, yeah, this roster cannot compete against that roster. Obviously, talent wise, you can't do it. But this is one of the few rosters they will play against during the season that you could say, talent wise, we can beat this team. Like, we can beat this team. And they couldn't. So that comes down to the players, it comes down to the coach, and they, they got to be better. And even the way the whole thing is constructed, it's not good. But, and I'm not one of these guys who wants to doubt Cade or Ivy or Asar or Duran. But if you guys want to be that guy, you can't lose this game. You got to find a way to be like, you know what? We are going to win this game. And I, I just, I didn't feel that. Like through three quarters, but then it's like, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but this team, there is something missing and just something wrong with it. And maybe that's just overreacting to a long losing streak. 
but it's, it's not, it's open. not. We have to point the finger at the entire front office. Don't point at the coaches. Don't point at the players. I, I mean, obviously the players have to give effort. I'm not saying they're not at fault for this, but I'm going to give you some stats here. I did some research because I was really frustrated and pretty much fed up with people that are like, oh, he sucks. He's not as good as we thought he was. He's not worthy of number one pick. All these other fan bases pretty much just, you know, saying, LOL, Kate sucks. And it's like, really? So I looked up some stats. You ready for this, Andy? Let's do it. So do you want to guess how many guys in So these are uh, current. I looked at them today. Before the game against the Wizards, uh, 11-27-2023, I looked at these stats today on basketball reference before the game against the Wizards. So it, it might change a little bit, but I'm pretty sure most of these are going to stay pretty similar to what they are right now. Do you want to guess how many guys in the NBA in the top 10 in field goal attempts in total this season have another teammate who's also in the top 50 in terms of field goal attempts? So. Guys in the top 10, they take the most shots in the NBA. How many of them have a teammate that is in the top 50 that also takes a top 50 amount of field goal attempts in the NBA? Do you want to guess how many have a teammate in the top 50? Um, I would probably say 20 of them. Top 10, buddy. Top 10. Out of the 10, out of the 10, how many of them also have a teammate who's in the top 50? Oh, I would say nine of them or all 10 of them. Eight of them have a teammate in the top 50. The two that do not are Dave, Dave Cunningham and Shea Gildas Alexander. If you extend that out to the top 20, the top 20 guys in the NBA who take the most field goal attempts in the NBA. Guess how many of them have a teammate who's also in the top 100 in field goal attempts and the top 20, the top 20 guys in the NBA. How many of them have a teammate who's also in the top 100? I would probably say like 19 or 20 of them. Like the majority of them do. 19 of them. Who is the one that does not have a teammate in the top 100? Cade? Cade Cunningham. Stop blaming Cade. He doesn't have a single teammate that's taking at least in the top 100. And again, in the top 20, it's only SGA and Cade that don't have somebody else that's in top 50 taking all these attempts and taking the load off of their shoulders. You know, we talk so much about like, oh, you need second stars, you need big threes or whatever, but I don't think people really think about how much that is. And it, again, this is why I'm saying point the blame at the front office. Look at how many rebuilds have started before Troy Weaver came here. Look at how many started at the same time. Look at how many started after. And they're the only one right here with somebody who can't even find another teammate who can take that many shots to be in the top 100. That's a long list too, man. It's not a short one. Do you want to guess the top six guys on this roster in terms of shot attempts? Pistons, top six guys in terms of shot attempts. Kate is obviously number one. Who would be number two, Andy? Uh, number two, I'm going to go with Sar Thompson. Sar Thompson is number two. Is that a problem, Andy? Oh, absolutely. The guy that can't make threes, the guy that can't take threes, who's also the rookie, is number two in shot attempts. That's inexcusable. Number three. Who's number three in terms of total field goal attempts for the Detroit Pistons? Don't look at Google, Andy. Don't I'm, I'm going to say it's either Beef Stew or Alec Burks. It is Isaiah Stewart, number three. Again, is that a problem, Andy? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, again, he's learning to take threes. He should be like the fifth guy, maybe the fourth guy. 
on on offense. I don't think anybody's ever advocated for him being like top three offensive guy, even the people like us that love him. Number four, shot attempts on the Detroit Pistons, Andy. I was going to say Alec Burks, and I'm still going with Alec Burks. Killian Hayes. Killian Hayes is number four in terms of shot attempts for the Detroit Pistons this season. Is that a problem, Andy? Absolutely. Again, the guy that dribbles a lot does not make threes. Also another guard. Number five, Andy, can you guess who number five field goal attempts? Can we get Alec Burks now? Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley is number five in terms of field goal attempts this season for the Detroit Pistons. And you want to guess number six? I'm still going to keep running with Burks. Marcus Sasser comes in at number six. And again, stop blaming Kate. What is wrong with you people that are like, oh, I guess Kate's not that good. Look at what this front office has given him and look at what has happened right now. Asar Thompson, Isaiah Stewart, Killian Hayes, Marvin Bagley, Marcus Sasser are the top shot takers right after Cade. No wonder he's having all this pain. And it's not just a spacing thing. It's like this team doesn't even have a competent second guy that can take pressure off to where Sar is the guy that's taking all these other shots. And I would love to see how many of these quote unquote shot attempts are offensive rebounds, because I bet that really takes down Asar's numbers also to where he's probably like fourth or fifth. But when I saw this, I was like, oh, my gosh, stop complaining about Cade. So I'm glad you pulled this because it just supports my idea that I don't know what Monty Williams is doing. Because and that makes the whole Ivy thing to start the season even more bizarre. He's a legitimate number two, not maybe big picture for the team, but in this environment with vets hurt and you look at the roster, there is no reason why he the offense is not running through him every time Cade's not on the floor. And there's really almost no reason you can have Cade and Ivy both off the floor at the same time, and I understand people are like, oh, you can't make, yeah, no, you can, it's not that complicated math, guys, to stagger them out. So, and and the, just to reduce the amount of time that both of them are not on the court to, you know, maybe two minutes per game or something. But today, it was at probably bigger than any other game this season where both of them were off the court. I'll have to look at it. I'm going to guess today, they spent more time with both of them off the floor than any other game this season. That's my guess. Yeah, so these numbers are probably going to change the next time we do this next week because seventh is Jaden Ivey, eighth is Jalen Duran, and ninth is your guy Alec Burks there. So if those three can stay healthy and stay in the lineup, then they're obviously going to pass. They all should pass Sasser next time because Sasser's role has been heavily reduced. But man, in this early going, it's no wonder this team has lost so much. And why we've seen the the Cade Cunningham like clog paint and having to chuck up a bunch of shots is because look at what the team has turned it over to. Again, as much as I like beef stew, as much as we believe long-term in Sasser, all these guys here, Asar, Stu, Killian, Bagley, Sasser, the top six, they're non-shooters right now. And Sasser's turned into way more of a non-shooter these last games where he stopped taking threes. Right now he's taking more two-point attempts than three-point attempts. Which is another thing to me of like, what is going on behind closed doors? Like Isaiah Livers and I, Isaiah Stewart should be getting in Sasser's face and be like, stop dribbling, stop taking mid-range attempts. If you don't catch it, 
and start chucking up threes like you're not helping out this team right now, which also might be part of why his role got reduced. And you see Isaiah Livers come in because, you know, coach Monty Williams knows like that's what he's going to do is chuck up threes because that's what we need here. So that's, that's another like minor rant here. But man, Kate just has we all say Kate has not had help with looking at this now. It's like, oh, my gosh, they can't even get another guy. And they can take the top 100 type of attempts. So Cade's already by himself there. And then what you have as a number two is a rookie whose main offensive weapons are crashing the glass. And that turnaround, although his turnaround shot looks pretty and it seems like it's just automatic all the time. I guess it's, I don't know. I cannot, anybody that's going to dislocate anymore, like stop. You, you don't even know, man. Yeah, and getting back to just the the structure of the offense, like we attempt the fewest number of threes per game than any other team. And if you look at, you know, what Killian comes in to do, you know, he shoots the mid-range and it's like Asar shoots in the mid-range. It's like just the math behind our offense. We're not going to score a lot of points. Like, I don't understand what they're doing. To your point, like, yeah. Beef's too got to put up more threes. Sasser's got to put up more threes. And especially for Stewart, like he, I think he was one for seven tonight. And to be honest, I don't care. If he's going to be starting at the four position in the starting lineup, he needs to be jacking up like seven threes a night. And you know what? If he can't make them at a decent volume, then he can't play that position or that role. That's what we find out. But to pretend you know, let's say he averages, you know, three and a half attempts per game and shoots like 40%. At the end of the season, that accomplishes nothing for us. It really accomplishes nothing. So let him jack up the threes. If Livers is in his spot, jack up the threes. At least we'll know, like, you know what? Cade and Ivy and the offense was able to generate this many three-pointers. If we put a free agent in there who can knock them down, we should be in a much better position going forward with this team. Yeah, the Livers thing too. Livers went two of eight tonight. So people that are complaining about Beef Sue's numbers, Livers hasn't been exactly great. I know he's working on his way back from injury, but he's another one too that I'm like, why are you complaining about him? He's doing what the role he's supposed to be doing is. Like I saw some people tweet out about him going like minus 27 or minus 28. I'm like, guys, you're missing the point. Like he just came back from injury. And again, he's filling the role that he's supposed to, and that would help out is just as his volume three-point shooter. Eight three-point attempts is going to help out. If he just landed two more of those, it's not going to turn the tide of the game. But again, it helps out and lets people know, oh, we got a hard closeout on this guy. And then a couple of Marcus Sasser in there, if he stops dribbling too much and trying to be more of a point guard and be the gunner that, that he is and that he can be in the future, then again, that can be two shooters that you can take away. And then you can supplement those guys in with a Kate Cunningham. You can supplement those guys in with a Jaden Ivey. Um, to pull them away. So really, there's just guys here that that I think that should be the mandate, like Stu, Sasser, Ivy, Moore, and then a Moody, Knox, Burks. And if they get time livers, obviously, like that should be the mandate for those guys. Back up threes. The one thing I do want to end with for me in my rant is if I were a coach or a player in, in that room, just from what I've seen, I'm like, do you guys understand what an open shot is? We talked about this a little bit before in the point five offense where they it just seems like they think it's like pass, 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 extra pass. I've seen this team from Cade all the way down to the last guy turn down wide open shots and pass to a teammate. I'm like, what are you doing? Take that shot. 
I don't care if you miss it. I think that's really the big disconnect in like the Monty Williams system for me with these young guys is that it almost is like they're playing like they're afraid to make a mistake rather than to be aggressive or they're playing because they're afraid to be labeled quote unquote selfish. Like, man, that's an open shot. And that's why I praise Stu and Livers tonight is because I think they didn't turn down open looks anymore. They didn't turn down shots that were open. Maybe there was a guy close, but you know what? He didn't get to them in time to really affect the shot. That's what you got to practice. And that's one of the biggest things I think that has really held this team back is just they, they haven't taken the shots that are open. And you got to be able to, to look and get in the film study and be like, OK, I know that guy seems close, but he's not going to alter your shot. Take it next time. Don't pass out of it. And my goodness, if anybody's wide open and they pass out of it again, I am going to break things like, what are you doing? Be aggressive. Who cares if they label you selfish? Who cares if you brick it? Like you have to take those shots. So to go along with that, I know the first two wins in the first three games of the season, me and you both thought that was fool's gold. We didn't believe that that was like a good example of what this team could be. But what I will say about that is they were playing with a lot more freedom and joy and they were just playing. And now it seems like what you said, everyone's scared to make a turnover. Everyone's scared to miss a shot. Everyone, they're playing scared. They don't look like they're enjoying the game of basketball and they need to play with joy. They need to have some fun. They need to get in transition more. They are very good in transition. I don't know why they are not pushing every single rebound they get. And if it doesn't amount to anything, fine, pull it back out, then run your off. I know I can answer that question. They don't want to be the Memphis Grizzlies. What do you mean by that? Have you seen the Memphis Grizzlies trying to play a half-court offense in the playoffs? So, yeah, I under see, I understand that point, but it's like we're not talking about the playoffs. We want no, no, no. But this is a long-term thing because they let Jaw run, and this is a you can go look back with a bunch of different teams if they don't start building half-court offense early on. It's super hard to like in year three or four be like, no, 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 no. Now we're gonna do half-court offense and unlearn all that stuff, especially if you're like your main cog is doing that. Like if you want to build a successful program, you can't do that. I mean, Golden State tried that and then they were like, nope. The reason they got good, part of the reason they got good is they understood how to use Steph and Clay in the half-court and not just like jack up transition threes like that. So that is the one thing that I, I do like. I know it sucks and it's not as fun, but I think it's a good thing long-term because once you start playing that way, and if you're relying on a lot of your points to come that way, it's super hard just to, to again, slow it down and then change course like that because your team isn't built that way and your players aren't wired that way. So I, I do think that's a good thing long term. Maybe, but can we just push it, and get a win and then slow it back down again? <laughs> yeah, I, I do think, number one, like a SAR, any rebound you grab, run like that should be a mandate thing. Because he can find guys, he can, you know, do those amazing reverse layups looking like Dr. J or Clyde Drexler out there. I think that that definitely should be a mandate. And I think Ivy should have like every now and then run things. I forget what the screen is called, but it's the screen basically where you somebody sets it at half court or a little bit like a foot or two um, above the three point arc, the top of the three point arc. Like, I don't know why nobody's running that with Ivy because you can set that screen, have Ivy downhill. And then he's wide open at the top of the key. And then the defense has to scramble 
you adjust. And a lot of successful offenses do do that, even at the highest level, even on championship level teams. Like the, I'm sure the Bucks do that with Dame to get him those open, like you know, thirty footers. They do it with Steph as well sometimes. I don't know why they're not running that more, and that should be a staple part of their offense because they have a star and because they have Ivy. And those are two guys that you should be doing that with to get defenses in panic mode because they can't handle that speed and that athleticism. Yeah, I, I would like to see Ivy and Asar attacking the basket more. Like that should be, that should just be something we're using because our offense is so bad. I mean, it is bad. So they have to manufacture some points wherever they can. And like, I, I don't know how many free throws Cade shot tonight, but he's got he's to gotta have a focus of getting to the free throw line because it just makes a big difference in him controlling the offense and the tempo. And then I know part of it is out of his control. He's got a bad whistle and he doesn't get to the line a lot. But in other recent games where he's made it an effort to try and get to the line, which at the same time, I don't want to wear that out because just relying on him to do everything is not sustainable. And then he's exhausted in the fourth. But I do think they have to try and find a better balance because that helps the team and helps him out a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's the number one shot taker from three. He's the number one shot taker overall. And he has to be the number one guy making the plays. And he has to be the number one guy getting to the line. That's a lot for anybody to do. I mean, even at the highest level, like a Kevin Durant, LeBron James, they're not asking them to do all of those things every single night. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you there, too. And I think this is really where if he was playing with a bunch of other shooters, he would be getting to the line more because I think it's easier when you have like two or three guys in the paint for that defense to adjust that way and push you to the side of the basket. If you're going to attack the basket straight on, then I think that's an easier time to draw the foul. And we've seen it with Cade for a while, his little runners and like hook shots and things he does. He's had to do because he can't attack straight face up to the basket. He's had to deal with a clogged uh, restricted area in particular. So he can't get straight to the basket. And part of what he's had to do to adjust is he's doing these baseline drives where he does the reverse layup like that. I do think that's a good counter, but I think he's got to start like measuring that out and finding open shooters that way. But I don't think defensive has quite like respected or seen it as part of the offense enough to draw a second defender in. Normally when he gets that, the guy in the paint just kind of chills there and waits for him to try and block the shot. But he gets open pretty much every time he does that. So hopefully that is something, at least one thing to do more. Man, I I really wish he didn't have that clog paint because I think that could really change uh, the game. I do think the way he's been able to try and get foul calls now has been like unorthodox, but it does work every now and then is his you know bag of fakes where he's able to get into the paint and then he just head fakes or pump fakes or does all of these things in a draw and, and it's worked. I, I applaud that and hope that he can get more of those calls. So any other, any other thoughts that you have or, uh, any guesses on when this uh, losing streak comes to an end? What's the schedule looking like? Do you know who the next game is? I can tell you here really quick if you don't know off the top of your I head. I think it's Lakers Wednesday and I think Cavs on Saturday. The, uh, no, Lakers on Wednesday, the Knicks on Thursday, the Cavs on Saturday. Any of those games seem like they're going to win it, Andy? Um, well, I'm taking my son to the Cavs game on Saturday, so that will be a W. <laughs> That'll be the win. 
I'll take the Lakers because I do not like the Lakers. And maybe Beef Stew's got some extra juice in him for his revenge game against LeBron. Uh, it's there at home at LCA. I don't know that that's going to make that much of a difference. But yeah, I'll take the Laker game just because I don't like the Lakers. But otherwise, looking at the schedule, I don't think there's like a decent game that the odds of good are winning until like Utah. But that's like, I think like five, six games down the road. Yeah, that's not until December 21st. A lot of people have said that they're going to think they think the Pistons will be winless in 2023. So we'll see if that comes to pass. The only thing that I'll say, unless you want to say something else before we end this. No, I think we've suffered enough. And there has to be front office change. I think it's just, it's gotten to this point. Like you said, there's nothing, there's nothing that's going to save this team. And especially if they get that 15 game losing streak, I don't know what else can send a message to ownership that like, yo, this is bad and things have to change. And again, look at that fourth quarter, look around LCA in that fourth quarter, ain't nobody there. And if there's something that ownership pays attention to, it's attendance. And for a guy, and Tom Gores, who said he wanted to restore the order to, to Detroit, to bring it back downtown, to bring Pistons winning basketball. This is what you brought so far, buddy. And if you care about that and you actually want to match those words, you got to do something. And maybe it is to clean house. So fortunately, the Detroit Pistons are the worst team in basketball. Andy, let everybody know where they can find you right now. You can find me on Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. Um, one of the things I'll talk about on the next pod is uh, asset management wise. I think they're in a terrible position just in terms of if Bojan or Monte are tradable, you have to play them. And if they look decent, how can you explain trading them off the team when the team just looks decent when you start playing them? But if you're going to keep them, how high is your ceiling actually for next season? Like, it's a really weird position that it's like they can't, they're screwed. Like, I don't see, I don't see a win in any situation. I do, but we'll say that for next time. Cause I think there is one trade in particular that would work out pretty well for the Pistons. Again, I, I forgot to say this at the end. This will legit be the last thing I'll say. The Pistons are the worst team in basketball. Right now, that can obviously change. They can go and win streak. You know, things can turn around. But man, right now, it's not looking so hot. And yep, after this Wizards game, they've definitely earned that title of the worst team in the NBA. Don't diss on Cade. Don't blame him. Again, the front office, the front office has just not done a good job of assembling talent to surround and to make a coherent roster. And I think it sucks to say but look at the Wizards. The Wizards have a bunch of dudes. Uh, a lot of people joke at the beginning of the season that the Wizards are just a collection of guys. Well, guess what? They're a collection of guys that can do different things like a Denny Avdia, who I don't like. And I'm glad he got called for the foul thing, uh, the flop thing tonight. But again, he filled in a role, scored like 16 points. Kuzma has gone nuclear and just been able to put up buckets. Jordan Poole for all of his warts and his, you know, Evan Garnett laced tirades that I agree with and wholeheartedly endorsed. He's still a microwave scorer. Tyus Jones is a point guard that I wish that we had here to stabilize the unit. Gafford could get out there and block shots. They just have uh, Bilal Kulabali is like a SAR, but if a SAR had a better profile of, you know, 
being able to shoot, but wasn't as athletic or dynamic. They have a bunch of guys that filled in a bunch of roles. The Pistons don't have that right now. So we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening. I'll go on it.